Well, good morning and welcome to New Covenant. And we'll be in Acts chapter 9 this morning, so you could turn in your Bible there. And please pray with me one more time. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. So there are two realities that I believe don't get quite enough attention as they should in the church. One is the return of Christ, and the other is um, God's passion and mission to reach the nations with the gospel. And the second of these realities comes out very powerfully in our passage for this morning in Acts chapter 9. So I've been praying this week in preparation for this sermon, and my prayers have been for one person and for many people. The first prayer has been, that one person would be moved this morning to give his or her life to reach an unreached people group for the name of Jesus. Maybe you're a young person, a high school student, or a college student, or even a, a middle school student, 11, 12, 13 years old. Or maybe you're older than that in your 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s and you feel established in your career and your direction in life. And today I pray that the Lord leads you to start praying about what it would look like to give your life to be used in his service to reach those who have never heard before. So that's been my prayer for one person. And I've also prayed this week for many people, many of us, who love Jesus but aren't right now meaningfully involved in some way in God's plan to reach the nations for Jesus. And I pray that today you will put your life before God and simply ask this question of him. What would you have me do, even me, in your mission to bring all nations to yourself and to deal directly, you and God, to deal directly with God, to, to come up with an answer to that question of how you can be involved in God's mission to reach the nations at a in a practical and concrete way. So my job today is to be a spokesman for God to put a fire in us at New Covenant for reaching the nations for their joy and for the glory of our Savior, Jesus. And Acts 9 is going to be what gets us there. So let's turn to Acts 9 and start reading in verses 1 through 2. I'll be reading from the ESV. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, 
went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So we're reintroduced to this new character in the story. His name is Saul. And there's a clear contrast between this Saul and the man that we learned about last week, whose name was Philip. So we're first introduced to Philip all the way back in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. And he was one of the seven chosen to serve the neglected widows. And we learned last week that this Philip was a zealous evangelist. He's taking the gospel to the outcast, to Samaritans and to an Ethiopian eunuch. But then there's this Saul. And we're introduced first to Saul in connection with Stephen's violent martyrdom. And we're told that, if you look back at chapter 7, verse 58, we're told that the witnesses to Stephen's trial and death laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Saul is kind of this dark and ominous person, kind of lurking in the shadows, who condones the brutal and bloody killing of Stephen. And so this is Saul, as we know him, up until Acts chapter 9. So if you, if you look at chapter 8, the very last verse of chapter 8, look at it there with me. Chapter 8 concludes with this. But Philip found himself at Azathus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel. He's, he's full of zeal for Jesus. And he's going through and he's preaching the gospel all the way through until he came to Caesarea. And then nine, chapter 9, verse 1, but Saul. And there's this dark and foreboding feel that we get when we're reintroduced to Saul. So Saul is the antithesis to Philip and his ministry. Philip is zealous as an evangelist to spread the good news. Saul is zealous as an anti-evangelist to silence the good news and the Christians who believe it. In other words, Saul was the last person on earth you would expect to become a follower of Jesus. The last person. And I want you to think about who that person is in your own life. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a former spouse. And you think, no way. No way could they become a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a long-standing enemy or someone who's been antagonistic toward you and you think, no way could that person become a follower of Christ. Maybe it's Vladimir Putin and you think, no way could his heart be changed for Jesus. But what I want you to do this morning is have that person in mind and keep that person in mind now as we read about the story of Saul and his conversion. So look at verse 3 of chapter 9 with me. Now as he, as Saul, went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. 
So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So I want to I look at these verses from two different angles. So angle one is what Saul was doing to Jesus. And then angle two is what Jesus was doing for Saul. So let's look at that first angle, what Saul was doing to Jesus. Saul was really, really, really bad. Uh, He was doing really evil things, dark, satanic things. And later in Acts, if we flip forward in Acts, Saul actually describes himself as having raging fury toward Christians. Those are the two words that he uses about himself. He had raging fury toward Christians. He hated them. He wanted them dead and gone. But what Saul didn't realize was that in fighting against Christians, he was actually fighting against Christ, the true Messiah. So look back at chapter 9, verse 4. I want you to pay very careful attention to Jesus' words there where he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Who is it? Me. Now, track with me here. Jesus does not say, why are you persecuting my people? He says to Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and, and then Saul doesn't answer the question. How do you answer that question? <laughs> like, wh- what do you say back to that? And so Saul wisely answers the question with a question. Who are you, Lord? And Jesus, so, so Saul recognizes this is the Lord. And he asks the question, who are you, Lord? And then Jesus makes it very, very clear in Verse 5, where he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And here, we're getting a glimpse of the depth of Jesus' unity with his people. We are so much one with Christ that when we are persecuted, he is persecuted. We could even go as far as to say, as when, when we are in pain, He feels pain. Amazing, isn't it? So the ministry that we as Christians are carrying out in the world, when we bring the gospel to our neighbors and the nations, it's actually Jesus himself, the real Jesus who's in heaven. He is working through us So that whenever someone attacks the church or Christians, they're actually attacking Jesus himself, which makes it a really evil, bad, dark, satanic thing to do, to attack and fight against Christians. And that's exactly what Saul was doing to Jesus. Let's look at it from a different angle. What Jesus was doing for Saul. What was Jesus doing for Saul? Well, in a word, Jesus was loving his enemy. He was loving his enemy. So even though Saul was persecuting Jesus and an enemy of Jesus, Jesus comes down and he reveals himself to Saul and he ultimately forgives him of his sins. And at the end of 
verse 5. If you look at verse 5 there with me, where it says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's kind of like, what's going to happen next? Is, is Jesus going to strike Saul dead for his many sins and give him what he deserves as would be just? And indeed, Saul is totally terrified. He falls to the ground, which is the common response of all who stand before God in the light of his holiness. And what will happen when Saul's sinful darkness meets up against the blinding light and holiness of the risen Lord Jesus? Well, this passage is going to go on to say in 6 through 9 and beyond that Jesus is coming to Saul in grace and mercy and compassion and kindness. It's just like our Lord, isn't it? And so maybe today you think of yourself a little bit like Saul. You're too bad. You're too far from God. You're too rebellious to be forgiven. You're too, you feel too spiritually dark to come into the light of Christ. Maybe that's how you feel today. And maybe even from this past week of your life, you've fallen too deeply and too badly to come to Christ Jesus for forgiveness. Can I encourage you today to put those thoughts aside? Can I encourage you with Saul's story today that God loves and delights to save sinners? People who are bad and have done evil and are rebellious. You got to see this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Turn there with me. It's this amazing passage in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.15 where it says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save good people. Right? Christ Jesus came into the world to save those who have it all together. Amen? No. Christ Jesus came into the world to save the righteous, right? No. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. This is the good news of the gospel. People who actually don't have it all together. That is why Jesus came. This is the message that we love. And part of the purpose of Saul's story is to convince us deep in our souls that God loves to save sinners and God is patient towards sinners. So let's read on in 1 Timothy 1. But I receive, Paul saying, I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect Patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. The whole point of Saul's story is to show us that God is patient and merciful towards sinners so that when we live lives of sin and have blown it, we come back to Jesus and we come to him for salvation. So maybe you've never 
come to Jesus for salvation. Maybe you've never repented and believed in him. And today is the day to realize that Jesus is a great savior of people who have messed up their lives through sin. And so come to him today and receive the free and full forgiveness that he offers to you. Pray to him. Say, Lord, would you change my heart? Would you forgive me for all of my sins? And he will do that. That's what our Savior is like. But Jesus came into the world not just to save one sinner, but literally millions of sinners. So let's keep reading in Acts 9, starting at verse 10. Turn back there with me to Acts chapter 9. Starting in verse 10, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So here we see clearly that the Lord Jesus is on the move. And he picks out this one disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias. So we met an Ananias a few chapters back. This is a different Ananias, and I think there's another Ananias later in Acts. So it was a common name at that time, kind of like naming your son Joe Jones today. (laughs) But this Ananias is chosen for this situation at this time in this place. So the Lord calls out to Ananias in a vision. And note that Ananias... He immediately recognizes this is the Lord. You know, with dreams, sometimes dreams are interesting and they're confusing and they're fuzzy. And what did that mean? Or was there any meaning in that? Well, that wasn't how Ananias, that wasn't what Ananias was experiencing here. This is a clear vision of the Lord revealing himself to Ananias. And this is the Lord. And and. Ananias responds the way that many in the Old Testament responded when God calls out to them. He says, 
Here I am, Lord. And what he's essentially saying is, I will do anything you ask. It's a, it's a posture of submission and openness to whatever the Lord would ask us to do. Ask him to do. And it's risky business, isn't it? Because what's the Lord going to ask you to do? But we live risky lives as Christians. Because our whole lives are, here I am, Lord. And we don't know what he's going to call us to do. But we say, yes, Lord Jesus. And that's where Ananias is at before the Lord. And indeed, the Lord puts on Ananias a very difficult assignment. So here's what the Lord does. He gives Ananias a home address and he gives him a name. Okay? And the address is a street called Straight. The house is a house of Judas. The name is Saul of Tarsus. And Saul must have been well known for his violence and evil and zeal. He had a reputation. It's like, don't hang around that kid. He's got a reputation. That was Saul. And his, his fame for evil against Christians had spread all the way to Damascus. And so Ananias is very afraid. Um, and he's, he's in a tough situation because it, it's kind of like, I, I know, you know how I said, here I am, Lord? Like, never mind. I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, because he realizes he's being sent into a literal death trap. Saul has the authority to bind him, send him to prison, where he would likely be put to death. And so the Lord knows this is a difficult request for Ananias, and so he stoops down in his grace, and he gives him four reasons. He's saying, Ananias, go, and I'm going to give you four reasons to go. Okay, so let's look at those. Number one, reason number one, look at verse 11. Saul is praying, and it doesn't tell us, but I imagine that Saul is praying that he'd regain his sight and that he'd know what to do next. He'd be called into what he's supposed to do next. And Ananias is going to be the Lord's answer to Saul's prayer at the house of Judas. So isn't it amazing? Saul's praying to God. And, and then the Lord goes to Ananias. And Ananias is going to be the answer to Saul's prayer. Isn't that the way the Lord often works? He uses the action of his people to answer the prayers of his people. Have you ever had someone say to you, you were the answer to my prayer to God? So Ananias, go, because Saul is praying, and you're going to be the answer. Number two, verse 12, you, Ananias, will be the means of Saul's regaining his sight. So Saul is blind, and Ananias will be the means by laying his hands on him of restored sight. Saul can't do much as an evangelist to the nations if he's blinded. So, so Ananias is going to go and help him in that way. But this isn't enough for Ananias. So you see there in verses 12, 13, 14, 15, Ananias begins to backpedal. He's letting fear and timidity kind of take a grip on his heart. And so Jesus comes back to him with two more reasons. And these are the deeper reasons that make 
Ananias's trembling knees and legs strengthened to take those steps to the house of Judas, to knock on that door, to go in and to lay his hands on this enemy of Christians and to say to him, this is just a beautiful picture of enemy love where Ananias is going to lay his hands on Saul and call him Brother Saul. <laughs> Regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. But how is Ananias going to get strengthened to do that? Well, Jesus gives him two more reasons. Here's the next one, the third. Saul is the Lord's chosen man to bring the name of Jesus to the nations. Look at verse 15. You see it there in your Bible. Go, Ananias, because Saul is my chosen man to bring the gospel to the nations. And then reason number four, look at it there in verse 16. Saul will suffer greatly to bring the name of Jesus to the nations. So Ananias Go, he's my man. So let's talk about those two things for a bit because I believe these last two reasons are the central point of Acts 9 and I believe the central point of the book of Acts as a whole. So let's dig into them. We might be tempted to say as we keep reading in Acts, oh, we're just amazed by this guy Saul, who later becomes Paul, and his zeal for the nations. I mean, he's just unstoppable. You know, remember that story? He gets stoned, and then he gets up the next day, and he actually travels miles away to another city and keeps preaching. It's like, this guy Paul is amazing. But Acts 9 corrects us and says, it's not Saul that's amazing. It's Jesus that's amazing. It's Jesus's passion for the nations. It's Jesus's mission. It's Jesus's drive. It's Jesus's love. It's Jesus's compassion. It's Jesus's big heart. It's Jesus's unstoppable purpose that that's driving the mission for all the nations on planet earth to come to worship God. I, I recently read an article that was talking about the country of Uganda and how um, there seems to be a resurgence of Christianity there and, 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 and the growth of the church. And this article made the prediction that a certain percentage of people in Uganda would be Christians by 2050 or something like that. And it kind of made me laugh a little bit. Like, and I understand what the article's doing, but how do you predict a percentage by 2050? Because you know what? If you were to make that prediction here in the States, what would that prediction be? It wouldn't be like this. It's going like this, isn't it? In terms of number of Christians, percentage of Christians. But who's building the church? The Lord is. And couldn't our Lord bring hundreds of thousands of souls in America to himself in a matter of weeks? Yeah, the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> and he would use us, his people, to do it. The Lord, the Lord Jesus, is Lord of all, and he is building his church, and he's using us to do it. And that's the whole point. Jesus, isn't it amazing? 
Jesus doesn't come in, come down from heaven, light shines, Saul's converted, and beam him back up to heaven. No, that's not what happens. Jesus comes down, he reveals himself to Saul, he softens his heart, he forgives his sins, and then what happens? He sends him out. He saves him to send him. He converts him to commission him. And his commission is not go feed the hungry. It's not go help the poor. It's not go study the scriptures. He doesn't commission him to build a team or build a business or build a movement. His commission is simply this, take my name to the nations. That's it. Very simple call. And that's the main point of this passage. That's the main point of the book of Acts. And that's the calling even upon our lives today to be part of God's big mission to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Don't you want to be part of something big like that, that God is doing? And Jesus says, take my name and I'll take care of the rest. I watched a video a while back about a man who left his job and he took his family to evangelize an unreached people group. And they translated the scriptures into their language. And they gave their lives to bringing the gospel of Jesus to this small group of people. And the results were just remarkable. I mean, it's just this powerful video of people, even before they had the gospel, just hungering for God's word. And then when the gospel message comes to them, they are just drinking it in with tears and with joy and there's this like revival that breaks out among this people group from one man saying here I am Lord and I've read other stories many other stories of people who have gone and done just the same thing and have seen little or no visible fruit and the calling is the same on both isn't it it's take my name to the people I'm calling you to and I'll take care of the results. So, okay, now you ask, what about the suffering piece? Because there's this suffering piece that's there as well. And, and the, rea- the hard reality is that when we begin to take steps, and this was so much the case for Saul, when we begin to take steps to say, here I am, Lord, I want to be part of your mission, what the Lord brings us into, causes us to enter into, is suffering. It's almost, so don't be surprised if you today say, Lord, I want to figure out, I want to pray to you and figure out how I can be part of your mission for the nations. Don't be surprised if at the very same time some dark trial enters into your life. Even some spiritual oppression enters into your life. Don't be surprised. In fact, view it as the Lord's kind of branding. Brands hurt, don't they? I know. (laughs) Branding of approval on your life. Suffering. It's part of God's plan to use us. Okay, so that's what the Lord called Saul too. We need to finish up, but here's how I'd like to conclude. I want us to just marvel together at the radical reversal here. So have you ever 
been in your house and you've gone maybe upstairs for a certain purpose. And when you get to that spot, you've completely forgotten your original purpose. That happens to me as I get older. It just keeps happening more and more. And this is kind of like what happened to Saul, only he didn't forget why he was going. But his course was 100% reversed and changed. Think about it. He, Acts 9, 1 and 2, Saul is going to Damascus to persecute Christians. And by the time he gets to Damascus, he is a Christian. And then he's going out to preach Christ. It's this amazing reversal that happens in Saul's life. So what did happen? Well, here's what happened. The Lord chose the most unexpected person on planet Earth to bring his name to the ends of the known world. Why did the Lord choose the most unexpected person on planet Earth? Well, here's why. It's so that his mercy, his patience, his power, and his grace would be clearly on display for all to see. And this reason is so encouraging to me because I often feel like I'm the most unexpected person to be used by God. Because of my sin and my weakness. Do you know that I used to lie to my teachers in school and do whatever I could to get out of any form of public speaking? My voice would crack and tremble and I couldn't think straight and it was terrible. If, if ever I had to speak publicly, I'd be restless in bed the night before, but the nightmare for me was speaking in front of people. And maybe you feel like I'm not smart enough. I don't have the influence I need. I'm not good at talking to people. I don't know enough about the Bible. I've sinned too badly and too much and too repeatedly. And you know what I would say? You're right. You don't have the strength, the desire, the willpower, the talent, the holiness to do what God is calling you to do. But there's these five pivotal words in Acts 9, 17 that I want you to just embrace today. Look at verse 17. So Ananias is going to Saul. He's going to lay his hands on him and he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the real problem is the church, church trying to accomplish the Lord's mission in the power of the flesh rather than in the power of the Spirit. So Francis Schaeffer once wrote that the real, he said, the real problem is this, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, individually or corporately, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than of the Spirit. The central problem is always in the midst of the people of God, not in the circumstances surrounding them. And while we're on Francis Schaeffer, he also said, there are no little people and no big people in the true spiritual sense. Only consecrated and unconsecrated people. So, you know, graduation is coming up. There are going to be 
tons of motivational speeches. And this is not a motivational speech. You know why this isn't a motivational speech? It's not a motivational speech because a motivational speech says, you can do this. You've got this. Get excited for the impact that you're going to have on the world because you are amazing. Don't fall back into that worldly thinking that will lead either to pride or despair or likely both. No, I'm saying if you lay your life at the feet of King Jesus, consecrated to God, he will fill you with his spirit and use the small gifts that you bring to the table for his great glory. The whole point is that we are all little people, but when the Lord gets involved, we can be used by him. This was Saul's experience. So you say, well, Saul was unique. He had a special calling from the Lord. Yes, he did. But the book of Acts is at pains repeatedly to say that the whole church is involved in this mission. I mean, read through the book of Acts and see how all sorts of different people are are participating in God's mission to reach the nations for Christ. And so we come back now to where we started. How will you be involved? You. How will you be involved in, in the Lord's mission? Is there that one person, that one person that the Lord is stirring in your heart to give all of life to devote to reaching the unreached? Is there that one person here today? Young or old? And are there many? As a church, New Covenant, are there many of us who will pray and give and strategize and send. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would give us a heart for the many thousands of people that are dying, they're perishing without hope, without true hope, without Christ. There are people, many people in the world right now you know, Lord, who need you desperately and they don't have an opportunity to hear. And you're coming back quickly and we want to give our lives in whatever ways we can, even thinking about rearranging and reorganizing our priorities so that we can play a part in your great mission to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So help us, Lord, work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.